Okay, welcome to another GQ edition of Better Betting. Unfortunately for Eric, he's in Saratoga, and I'm in the control again. I have my walk-up song. Aha, take on me with me. So, what we're going to do today, I have a special guest. Brian Lecky, he's a handicapper, horse owner, Mammoth Park apologist, and social media influencer. Brian, welcome to our program. Always oh, good to be with you, Gary. <laughs> Brian and I go back. Uh, we're both uh, just like Eric and I, members of Wasabi, uh, and uh, we have a story to share a little bit later. Uh, on uh, we were horse owners together by Wasabi. So uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, what we're going to do after uh, we get to know Brian a little bit more, uh, we're going to go over the cross-country pick five. Uh, Eric, uh, even though he can't join us, he's in Saratoga sweating his balls off probably. Uh, and uh, so the cross-country pick five is two races they're all great graded stakes. Somehow, I don't know why one of them is, but uh, two of them are at Saratoga on Saturday. It's the ninth race, Saratoga Special, grade two, and also race 10, which is the grade one four-star Dave, you know, the, the favorite son of Saratoga. You go to Saratoga, you see Four Star Dave everywhere. I never understood it, but maybe somebody can enlighten me. So the other three races of the uh, cross-country pick five are at Arlington Park. We're going to have the Beverly D, the Bruce D, and the Mr. D. Anybody who's familiar with South Jersey, all I know about Mr. D is he has great cheesesteaks in South Jersey. So I've talked enough. Uh, Brian, thanks a lot for being with us. Right off the bat, tell us a little history about how you got into horse racing. Lifelong fan. So probably, well, actually, the first time I went to a racetrack, I was six months. My mom pushing me around in a stroller at Belmont Park. No memory of that. Second time, I went to the 1993 Breeders' Cup at Santa Anita. Also no memory of that. The first time I remember being at the track was in probably about 94. 95. I remember being four years old and being up at the third floor balcony in Monmouth Park rooting on Julie Crone. And I've just been a fan. My uncle just took me to the track starting around, you know, that age. And I've just been a, a fan of racing ever since. Just nice. always loved being at the track and being around horses. Now, you know, everybody uh, has either a, a relative or a friend who, who introduced them to uh, racing in your case, you, you had your mom and your uncle. Tell us uh, about your uncle and his travels, and you've joined him across the country on these racetrack uh, visits. Well, back when he was uh, single, we're talking now a good 30 years ago, you know, <laughs> what he would do was he would always take his vacations to go out to visit new racetracks. Um, he was inspired by this one gentleman who would always go to these rinky dink tracks, you know, in the middle of nowhere, Nevada or Arizona. And, and the key was you, it, it only counted if you were there for a live race. Makes so, sense. yeah. 
So he, his mission was to go to every single racetrack in the country that existed. And he, and actually, um, we've gone to a few international tracks together in Ecuador and England and France. So his total right now sits at 160 and mine is at 60. Wow. That's impressive. I mean, I thought I've, I've been to my fair share. I think I'm still just short of 50, but I can probably say at least a dozen of those no longer exist. Yeah. So it's like if I show up at a track, it'll probably close in the future. So well, uh, I can't count how many he's been to that have closed down. I mean, hey, but you know what? Unfortunately, that's uh, the fate of horse racing in the 21st century. You know, I had this struggle for years, decades of trying to bring in new blood. And speaking of new blood, I mean, you, you've, You've been around this uh, industry for long enough. You see what works and what doesn't. Every time you say, okay, or you see somebody saying, oh, this, you know, we need new fans. How do you attract new fans? Have you ever thought of it? You know, what would you do if you were a track owner? Well, I'm not necessarily the idea guy or the solution guy. I pretty much take someone else's idea and then latch on to them. Like, oh, that sounds like a good idea and ride that way. But recently I visited Canterbury Park and I got to say, I really love what they're doing. You know, they're not just, you know, having food trucks and hoping that people come to the track and then hope something sticks. They're actually trying to, and Indiana Grand does this uh, to an extent somewhat too. When I went there uh, the next day after Canterbury, um, you know, they're actually trying to make it as entertaining as possible and, and really to make horse racing as entertaining as possible for the casual fan. Um, now, whether that translates over into bets, that remains to be seen. So there really is kind of a fine line there with, okay, do you want to get fans interested or betters interested or both? And there's a myriad of different ways you could go to appeal to one, either, or both of them. Um, and I really don't know what the right answer is for that, but uh, to Canterbury Park provides a pretty darn good start because yeah, people yeah. really show up there and they are actively interested in the racing. Yeah, every time I've seen uh, the feed from Canterbury, they like you said, they have something going on, and it sounds like a boisterous crowd, not unless it's just all the wasabi people who are cheering <laughs> on the wasabi horses, which are doing very good up there uh, at Canterbury. But no, I agree. Both Canterbury and Indiana Grand, they, they're trying different stuff. And, you know, mm -hmm. you, you got to try, uh, see what sticks. and But you know, kudos to both of those tracks and everybody involved in trying to market that. I mean, uh, the Indiana Derby, I couldn't believe the, the promo they had on Twitter. I don't know if you got involved in that. It was like, if you just submit who you think will run in the race, they were going to send you some swag. I got, I got a t-shirt. I got a t-shirt and a pin. I, I picked Folsom. If, I if he would have won, I think they would have given you more crap, but uh, just for picking a horse that, you know, I uh, looked on the nomination, said, yeah, Brad's probably going to send this horse, and sure enough, and two, three weeks later in the mail, I get uh, a shirt size, so at least they're doing it right. They, they, they have people who are thinking, and that's more than I can say for a lot of things, a lot of places. Yeah, that's but, easy. 
Yeah. I, I had to get my swag the hard way. I actually had to be in a, you know, handicap with Rachel before the race and, and have my horse beat hers to get that swag. You got uh, Okay. <laughs> See that, but you know what? They're making it available. Yeah. I, I got the easy way out. You had to actually do something uh, for it. But, uh, you know, speaking of tracks, anybody who's on Twitter and probably listens to this knows that your home track is Mammoth. There was a big controversy because of the whip rule and everybody was blaming Mammoth, but it had, Mammoth had nothing to do with it. It was legislation that, that enforced that. I had the pleasure of uh, being at Mammoth a few weekends ago. You happen to be there. Share your thoughts on how the Mammoth meet has gone with this new restriction. You know, it's, I really don't think it's as bad as, you know, the Twitter mob has been saying. Um, I don't think it's affected handicapping as much as uh, people might think. Uh, I certainly don't change my approach and how I handicap the races. I, I do it the same way I've always done. And uh, it seems that some of the results have been logical. And if they're illogical, I'm certainly not blaming the ripple, the whip rule for it. Right. Um, there may have been a few instances where, yeah, this force would have there's been cost of placing if it came, but they're really few and far between compared to the majority of races that have uh, been run. And, um, and I kind of go along with uh, the, one of the top jockeys at the meet, Jose Ferrer, uh, when he said that it really doesn't feel that it's any less safe. You know, beforehand, the Jockeys Guild and some sure. of the more prominent jockeys were saying that. Uh, it, you know, we'd have a myriad of, of safety issues and that really hasn't come to fruition at all. Which is, which is yeah. thankful. I and mean, it's good yeah. that, uh, people still embrace Mammoth for the, the cool track. It is right, right, right at the beach. It was pretty hot the day we were there, but, uh, uh, right. still, I mean, uh, you can't have a, a nicer setting, uh, the, the, the races are, are somewhat full. So, so they're good betting races. And, you know, to your point, as far as the whip rule, not making an impact early on, people were like, well, the speed horses, uh, probably will fade because the jocks can't use the whip to kind of encourage them to give it all. But I really haven't, haven't noticed that. Uh, have you? The track has played more fairly than I can remember in recent years. If, if there's a bias, it's, it's just due to your typical, you know, weather biases. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, as far as, uh, like you said, you haven't changed your handicapping style, at least for Mammoth. What is your handicapping style? Or at least, at least when, when you were learning how to read the racing form, I assume, uh, what type of, you know, what were you all about speed ratings, you know, class, what, what was the basis for trying to figure out a winner? Well, you just listed both of them. <laughs> Speed ratings in class. <laughs> That's pretty much what I geared to. Um, I think I started reading the form when I was around like 10 to 12 years old. Uh, my uncle started to teach me and my aunt was like, now don't start up too early yet. Too late. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I started out hot and then I kind of had a, a long cold streak and it and I, I would make the same handicapping mistakes that most people would go through. And it really wasn't until I think maybe about two years ago when I was sick of it, of all the losing. And I uh, started reading James Quinn's The Complete Handicapper. And I have learned a 
a whole number of angles um, from that book. Uh, and I apply as many of them as I can to different races. I'm not a one size fits all. Every race, every condition, right. you know, requires uh, different angles. Nice. Um, and I actually wrote them all down in the Word document. So if I ever go through a rough streak, I have my refresher to look through. And usually it helps me. Cool. Yeah, good good thing to do. And uh, so, so sure, yeah, uh, James Quinn, the complete handicapper. I, I often say that one of, the, one of the best books that I had read, horse racing related, had nothing to do with reading the form. It was all about physical handicapping. Did you ever get into any of that? Uh, yeah, I did uh, read a book on that as well from back in the 80s. I forget what her uh, name was. It was a really was it, old. Was it Trillis Parker? That's it. Yeah, that, that's that one. the one I swear by. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I actually have two copies in case I lose one. <laughs> But no, I mean, and and I think even based on what I look for in, in uh, the pre-race and in the paddock uh, is just a few points. I mean, she had dozens of things to look at, both positive and negative, and uh, it's really helped me. So yeah, anybody out there who can find Trellis Parker's Horses Talk, We Should Listen, uh, is, is another good uh, reference point for would-be handicappers. So as far as your handicapping style, has it evolved over the years? Have you found that maybe something's not working and you, and you lean on one thing that you see in, in the past performances over another? I mean, hard to say. Um, you know, after reading uh, Jim Quinn's book, I really became a uh, very much a form cycle handicapper. Okay. Um, and that's kind of lessened a little bit. I'm trying to become more of a physical handicapper now. Um, yeah, I, I really, I, I just try to be as comprehensive as possible. And, cool. and sometimes I, I, you know, I just use different angles for different things and, and they're all swimming around in my head. And <laughs> to grasp them. So is there one slam dunk angle that you swear by or that you feel that you've cashed in the most based on this particular the horse angle? for course angle horse for course always been my favorite in racing. Okay. That's pretty self-explanatory. And, mm -hmm. and that's the thing these days, whether you're a, a DRF guy or a Brisnet past performance, they, they tell you right there what the horse's record is at that particular track. So it really doesn't take a lot to, to put that into practice. So that's great. So, so let's talk about one of our favorite horses, <laughs> currently probably your favorite horse, even though you've gone through many frustrations. <laughs> We're talking about a horse that all the Twitter followers that Brian has knows well, and that's Unwari Sky. Unwari Sky. I'll, I'll kind of give it lead. wrong. Yeah. You're putting the end in there. Everybody puts the end in there. It's a worry sky. Well, yeah, it's a worry sky. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so uh, I'll, I'll give the first basis behind uh, on worry sky. And then I'll let Brian take it from there on a worry sky <laughs> uh, was a uh, horse that was claimed uh, back when I believe he was four years old uh, from a race at, at uh, I believe, Pimlico or Laurel by Wasabi Venture Stables. Uh, Brian and I were among many of the members who got involved with Unwari Sky. 
And on Wari Sky proved that he his best races were on the turf, or at least that's what TK Kugler uh, truly believed. So uh, his form seemed to be going off. Uh, I, I, I think when he reached age six, going into that uh, uh, winter, uh, TK just felt that Unwari Sky wasn't going to be uh, a good uh, horse to, to either try to campaign during the winter and figured he, he'd probably want the winter off, but what wasn't interested. So he was just going to look for somebody to take him over. So enter GQ and uh, <laughs> Brian Letke. <laughs> and so uh, I had... I guess more of a personal relationship with, with TK since I was like one of the original uh, Wasabi members. So I had, I approached uh, TK because um, the trainer at the time, Beth Wharton, I had become good friends uh, with over the years. And I think Beth kind of talked me into saying, you know, I, I think, I think if, if he gets the winter off, he still has races in him. So I approached TK. TK was kind enough to sell on Wari Sky to, to me for a song. And then Brian got involved asking me, you know, about me with on Wari Sky and said, uh, I'll, I'll go in with him. So Brian went in 25%. So we, we gave him the winter off, went through the winter. This was 2000, November of 2018, yeah, November 2019 is when we purchased him. We, we, we sent him out to the farm to be a horse, to get refreshed, brought him back to the track to start training. Uh, I think he had his first workout in February, toward the end of February, 2020. And then two weeks later, uh, this nasty thing called COVID hit. <laughs> It was like, I started freaking out. I'm like, oh, here we go. Uh, the George Costanza in me has, has gotten a horse that, you know, a pandemic is going to deny me from seeing this horse ever hit the track. So uh, I talked to Beth. We kept him in training. And then when pretty much America shut down in March, um, I asked Beth, I said, I, I can't. I, I can't foresee us getting to a race. So uh, if you know anybody's looking for a horse and, you know, all trainers and anybody who works on the backside, they know fox hunting people, jumping people, people who love to get thoroughbreds from off the track. And on Warrior Sky, if you've seen any of the photos or, or videos that Brian has, has taken, he's a, quite the majestic uh, specimen. So uh, a woman uh, uh, mentally picture perfect too. Yes. Yes. And so uh, Beth hooked me up with this woman who was willing to, to uh, purchase him. And uh, the only hurdle that, and I was ready to sell. And the only hurdle was getting Brian's okay. And I remember the conversation. He goes, Give me 24 hours. I might, I, I might be, I, I, I still believe in him. So Out of plan B. Excuse me? Out of plan B. <laughs> okay, so he, so he went to plan B. Long story short, he calls me back. He goes, yeah, 
I'll buy you out. So um, Brian uh, and his uncle wound up taking full ownership of Onwari on Sky. And then the excitement started. <laughs> so Brian, <laughs> take us through your trials and tribulations. We always, every time something happens, I always say another chapter in the Onwari Sky book. Well, it was, we started in June after I was berating the uh, governor of Maryland on Twitter for several weeks to <laughs> open things up and get racing going back in Maryland. So he had his first race back in uh, the middle of June and it, it went pretty well. And, uh, and we got through Colonial to the point where it was middle of August, 2020, and we were entered in a very weak claiming five nominers of one in six months. And I thought we were going to win the race and uh, we were entered and three days out from the race, all the jockeys got COVID. So they couldn't run a meet and they already had, uh, they had the meet from hell. Basically they had a hurricane come through a bunch of uh, power outages, a bunch of races canceled. So it, nothing went right for colonial last year during that meet. So they completely canceled the meet and uh they were nice enough to send us eight hundred dollars just for entering the race or you know it, wow. it was great that they did that but and then it's like okay so what are we gonna do with sky well our trainer uh beth wharton was really snake bitten by that cancellation um so she was ready to just take the winter off and stop training so she recommended us to uh laura roadcap uh, stable at Laurel. And, uh, I called Laura up and what it was about a five minute phone call. And I knew right then and there that she was the right one to, uh, continue onward with. I didn't even bother consulting my uncle. I'm just like, well, we found our trainer and, uh, she's done an, an unbelievable job with him. Just, just getting him ready and making sure he's happy. Uh, you know, he doesn't require really any vet work she just you know knows how to keep horses happy and I never thought that we would still own him at this point I thought last year was it knowing he didn't really run well on dirt we were ready to retire him at the end of October beginning of November but we gave him one or two more tries on dirt and he actually ran better than we thought so we thought we could get a, a win over at Charlestown or something during the winter. And we had a few other tribulations in the meantime, like the equine herpes virus at Laurel, which yeah. caused us to not have a race all through March because of, we couldn't ship out and, and someone got sick in our barn and we got scratched out of a race. And it, it was just awful. And then but, did, did you also, yeah, you had a turf race up at Penn. You felt you had a good chance. You ship him up. He even got Lasix, and then the heavens opened up, and they took the race off the off the two turf. hours before post time. <laughs> and I thought he was going to win that race. Well, actually, our whole point in, in continuing to own it was hoping that well, we're already that close to turf season. Right. Let's we'll see what he can do back on turf another year. And he really is just in in pretty good form right now. So. We're actually pretty hopeful over the next couple of months we could get something out of them. But yeah, that that Penn National race was uh, not a yeah, that was not a good moment. <laughs> so, so and, and you know that's when when I said yeah, I, I kid Brian every time something happens, I always say another chapter in the Unguari Sky book because 
I tell you, I mean, you you and your uncle deserve a, a gold star for the resilience you have uh, with this uh, horse and and all the things. You know, I I I Jeez, wanted it out than knows the other day. <laughs> I, I mean, I wanted it out because I envisioned you know in April or March of 2020. I'm mean, like, if they're shutting you know the you know everything down, who knows how long horse racing is going to be on hold. So I'm like, I can't sustain this, but, uh, you know, you're, you're the better person. You, you gave it a shot all because you wanted a winter circle photo, right? All for I, and we're still chasing it. Yeah. You know, the reason I got in with you was because I really thought that he could compete in open company, you know, right. as long as the turf is firm, because, you know, it, it you, you throw a drop of water on the turf course and he runs up the track, sure. but, and, and it just you know, kind of stinks that it took a year and a half for me to be vindicated that he can indeed keep it. But you just dug a hole for a year and a half yeah. because of COVID to get to that point, which, yep. you know, is unfortunate, but we'll see what happens. Right. And, you know, the, the, the most recent chapter that was written was, was it last weekend or the two weekends ago or whenever I forget uh, you were, you were just like, uh, you know, there's a race. I don't have a lot of confidence and Brian, Brian lives in North Jersey. He drives to Colonial, Laurel, wherever he can drive to to see his horse run in hopes of that winter circle photo. He's there. So on this particular day, he didn't have high hopes. He just thought that, you know, Sky was, you know, was, he was kind of, you know, it's a higher level than where he was competing at. And I just have, I, I didn't plan it. I just happened to go to Pimlico that day. And I'm like, oh, that's right. Sky's in today. So I started looking at the past performances and I'm texting Brian saying he's got a shot in here because I don't see any other speed. Well, the way it turned out, some of the other jocks realized that. So they went, but JD Acosta, who was on him, said, is that the first time JD was on him? Yes. Yeah. So JD smart, uh, you know, he kind of took back. On the backside, Sky Sky took him up through the pack, and turning for home, Sky's like pulling away. And uh, again, it was his perfect distance. You know, I believe a mile on the turf is his perfect distance. He's pulling away, and I'm like, oh my god, he's going to win today, and Brian's not here. So sure enough, what happens? Claudio Gonzalez's four to five or whatever comes flying at the end and get Sky right at the wire for a, a tragic head bob. So no, no no, luck, but at least, like Brian said, Sky's showing that he still has it in him and can compete, and, as long, and that's all you want from a horse, right? Yep. And if it wasn't for me using up most of my vacation days chasing that winter circle photo work, I probably would have been there that day. <laughs> uh. So... So uh, that's the that's the story in, in a nutshell. The saga of Amwari Sky, uh, known throughout uh, uh, the Twitter followers that Brian has, and um, anyone who who's listening who's on Twitter, they know Brian's not shy about the, his opinions on Twitter. So how how did that all happen? How did you become this Twitter influencer uh, where? 
you know, you or it was it just because you commented a lot and had strong opinions and people disagreed with you? That's pretty much it. I mean, <laughs> I am quite opinionated for the amount of money that I put down on these races. <laughs> um, and, and, and I'm sure that doesn't help at all. Uh, but yeah, I, I just speak my mind and sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm not, but it gets the conversation going. And, uh, I just gotten to know a lot of people. Um, those who have met me in person know that I'm, you know, pretty decent guy compared to if you only see me on Twitter, you think I'm a jerk. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. And that, and that's the sad thing is, you know, sometimes you have to stand up for what you believe and you, you come off. Uh, I've, I've learned uh, a lot of times that the written word doesn't show sarcasm or emotions. So, right. uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta go by people who follow you and get to know you, but, uh, Hey, I mean, uh, you have, uh, a lot of people, um, uh, either commenting on your comments or, or following you. And uh, they're all not haters. I, 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 I can attest to that. <laughs> you know, so, you know, they're, 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 they're riding the Unwari Sky bandwagon with you. <laughs> I, I know I've got a lot more people rooting for him and supporting us than, than are against. So, yeah. That's right. It, and, it always and, right. Because early on, it was like, oh, why are you running this horse retirement, all that? And now your persistence is showing that, yeah. He's still worth taking out to the track and running around oval, you know, counterclockwise. So he's finally showing what we thought of him all along. Right. Yep. So um, hopefully that winter circle photo is in the not so distant uh, future. Um, are you it, now that kind of the fruits of your labor, it's not paying off, but at least you see a little bit of dividends do you still say that I'll never own another horse or has it changed your mind? No, it has not changed my mind. <laughs> you know, we, what if we have those kinds of things happen to us and we have a horse that isn't as good as Sky? Right. And, and, and so, nope, it's, it's way down the line after I put kids through college. And yep, <laughs> so I, I'm sticking to that. Well, it, it's taught you. me a lot. I have no regrets. I'm super thankful that I went through this. But it, it shows you what could go wrong. And even though it's not going to go as wrong for us as it has for some other owners, right. uh, I've seen the potential pitfalls of that. And we can't afford those. Pitfalls. Exactly. Right. So. And that's why I always say it's like uh -huh. I don't call it the Sporter Kings because it doesn't take a whole lot of money to, to keep a, a horse in training. And the thing is, you know, I know a lot of trainers and they're not living the high life. You know, it's, it, you know, it's, it's a labor of love for trainers. Uh, so imagine if, uh, you know, you're, you're paying a day rate, you know, that equal to, you know, a Chad Brown or whatever, you know, you, you, you gotta have funny money uh, in this game, but you know, Hey, you guys live the dream and you know uh, uh, it may have cost you a whole lot more than you thought, but still, you know, the experience has served you well. So mm -hmm. before we get into handicapping the cross-country pick five, do you have anything else on your mind you want to share with uh, anybody uh, listening? Uh, not really. Let's get <laughs> handicapping. <laughs> All right. Okay. So in, in true better betting fashion, uh, 
even though we're minus the 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 the, the prince of the pick five, uh, Mr. Eric uh, Rubin, uh, we're going to go over the cross country, the I believe it's the Naira cross country pick five, which uh, like I said at the top of the show, two races from Saratoga, three from Arlington Park. I think, I believe they're all, no, they're not. Um, the first one is a dirt, and then I believe the next four are so. So what we're going to do, if you want to follow along, uh, leg A of the cross-country pick five is the ninth race at Saratoga. It is a six and a half, six and a half furlong contest uh, known as the grade two Saratoga special presented by Miller Lite. Sorry, Miller Lite, uh, that'll cost you uh, a little bit. Um, $200,000 purses for, for two-year-olds. So uh, we don't have a lot to go by. And unfortunately, Brian, um, as we always do to our guests, we allow our guests to go first. So any opinions you have about any of these runners you want to share? Well, I didn't at first until I started watching some replays. There you and, go. And and I got to say, I am really leaning toward uh, the two gun night for Steve Asmussen and Ricardo Santana. Okay. Uh, if you notice in that maiden win there, it took him a couple tries, but see, he stopped the timer of 110 for six furlongs. And he was breaking from the rail and he was being pressed the whole way by a 25 to one shot, broke clear easy and, and just drew off, win by a length and a half. You know, stops the timer and pretty good time. I think this horse is a serious runner, and I think he could handle the stretch out and distance because we know he can face adversity to face that pressure and to keep going onward, which is why I'm a little bit against the eight here, who was two to one on the morning line, Dr. Jeff for yeah. Rudy Rodriguez. Now, I find it peculiar that Joel Rosario rode the one for Wesley Ward uh, in April at Keeneland, but chooses to ride this horse for Rudy Rod. Uh, he got out to an easy lead, was never pressured, and drew off under a hand ride to run a similar time to Gun Night, but he wasn't pressured at all. He got away with an easy lead. And sure, he has a great workout coming in, but I wonder if him and Gun Night start duking it out, I don't know how this horse is going to respond to pressure. So if you want to include him defensively, you might, but I, I'm inclined to go against fate because I think uh, the sequence gets a little bit chalkier when we get into uh, Arlington. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm inclined to kind of go against them uh, for that reason. Oh, I thought, and uh, just in case those two go ahead and duke it out, and they, they, you know, kill each other on the front end. I thought that the six and the seven would be the two horses that would be able to reap the benefits the most in case there's a pace collapse. Uh, they both ran on really strongly at the end of their uh, previous races, especially the seven. The figures aren't really there, but he hopped at the start and he kind of did get a, a little bit of a perfect setup, just saving ground on the inside and then going through and, 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 tipped out and, and ran him down pretty easily. And you are, it is Pletcher and Velasquez, but uh, yeah, I think those are the two that are most likely to benefit. Yeah. It, you know, it, the, um, there was a recent sale uh, up at Saratoga and there was a lot of 
chatter on Twitter, how ridiculous some of the prices were being paid uh, for some of these uh, equine athletes. And I thought it, and, and so here, I, I think it's, um, you know, curious uh, or ironic that here's a, a group of two-year-olds in, in a graded stakes who have all, you know, shown that uh, they're, they're halfway decent or at least precocious as many of our female uh, handicappers uh, like to say. Uh, but the thing is, there is a um, absence of big purchase horses in this race. I mean, the, the 10 glacial is the highest uh, purchase price, 140,000, which is nothing when you're talking about you know, star athletes running at Saratoga. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, they, these are all, you know, um, sent, you know, anywhere from 9,000 to, you know, 70,000, $90,000 horses, which is very odd. Like you said, you know, running at Saratoga in a uh, grade two for um, uh, two-year-olds. Uh, I, I totally agree with you on the gun night. I, I, I think, his for for a horse who was very well meant in all three starts even though it took him three times his his brisnet numbers his speed figures are going up gradually and uh I, I think they'll probably continue to do so it's well known that you know gun runner he was a late bloomer and maybe you know his runners are as well so uh, Gunite, I think we're not going to get that five to one that, that we hoped for. Uh, horse that I thought that was interesting that, that doesn't have the speed figures, but I, I watched the, uh, the Sanford and I'm talking about the three Ottoman Empire 15 to one, probably will go off higher than that. This horse was kind of all washed out in the pre-race. And then even in the race, even though the short comment really doesn't show it, really didn't have the best of trips. And um, Jose just kind of gave up on him uh, late in that race. If he takes a step forward, uh, he's definitely going to have to, to really take a, a huge step forward. They're adding blinkers. Uh, I don't know if that's just a, well, you know, maybe you need something. But Dylan Davis you know, picks up the mount because obviously Jose wants nothing to do with a horse that can't uh, hit the board in a grade three. And Jose Ortiz finds himself on the six horse stolen base. Tyler Gaffleone, interestingly enough, who rides almost everything Mike Maker sends out to Saratoga these days, he finds himself on the 10 Glacial, who... Yeah, Tyler always rode for Mark Cassie. This is Norm Cassie's uh, trainer. But it's interesting that uh, Tyler uh, is not riding uh, the six stolen base. So, you know, for a long shot, I'd give the three Ottoman Empire a look. Uh, other than that, I think you're spot on on, on the two horse. Uh, is there anything else that kind of stood out to you? Uh, in, in this group of 12, either good or bad? I mean, I wouldn't say it really stands out, but, you know, you're always, whenever you see Wesley Ward with a two-year-old, especially one that ran at Royal Ascot, you don't know what, what really what that horse could do. And it had a really big speed figure uh, 
uh, winning at four and a half at Keeneland. Right. Um, so I, I mean, I might use that one just because I don't want to get beat by Wesley Ward. But of uh, no, Castellano really hasn't been riding that great recently. Yeah. So take that as you will. Yeah. It, the interesting thing enough, you know, when they ride at Ascot, obviously over in Europe, they they carry a whole lot more weight. I mean, he's taken off seven pounds from that Ascot race. And he's, he's had enough time. It's almost two months since, since he rode over there. So I'm sure Wesley's uh, is going to have him prime. But no, I agree with you with uh, JC in the irons. Uh, he's kind of lost a step or two, let's say. Uh, he, I, he, I always used to love him with the turf racing. But uh, uh, some of the younger uh, riders have taken over in that particular case. So... So we'll move on to leg B, which we'll have to turn to Arlington Park, which on paper looks like a two-horse race. It's the mile and three-sixteenths grade one Beverly D. Uh, when I refer to a two-horse race, I'm talking about number two, Mean Mary. She's installed as the nine-to-five morning line favorite, slightly over the Aiden O'Brien's uh, three-year-old Philly monster, uh, Santa Barbara at two to one. So Brian, uh, do you agree or do you see uh, any of these other horses in here uh, crossing the wire first? It's those two. You know yeah. what? All right. So, so here's the thing. Me and Mary, you just look and all you see is ones, ones, ones. You know, I might be off my rocker, but I think the uh, five horse naval laughter might actually be quicker coming out of the gate and might try to get uh, the lead on, on mean Mary. Obviously uh, Louis Saez didn't come to uh, Chicago just for the deep dish pizza. He's uh, uh, here to ride mean Mary and uh, he has a bunch of other mounts as well, but Saez is the regular rider. Uh, Mean Mary, I mean, yeah, here's a grade one where, yeah, you know what? It's not a grade one type of uh, uh, lineup, uh, but Mean Mary need, shows that she needs the lead. Uh, yeah, she might outclass every, everybody else, but um, who knows? You know, Santa Barbara is a three-year-old, looked good. I mean... I don't know if you saw that uh, Belmont Oaks Invitational that uh, she won by a half. She could have probably won it by a half a dozen. I mean, oh, it, was, yeah. it was a typical New York rider. Let's screw the out-of-town guy, if not the actual out-of-country jock. And Ryan Moore was just too smart for him. I mean, they they boxed him in and gave him nowhere they to go. Just waited for that scene to go through and boom. Yeah, and yeah, they could they could only uh, inhibit uh, the horse's progress for so long. But yeah, the horse exploded uh, in the stretch. So yeah, I I see Santa Barbara, but you know what? She's got it for me. She has to prove that against Open Company. You know, she against she, older horses. Or I'm sorry, I yeah, I I, my, I I misspoke. Correct against older horses. You know, she did take on older horses in that Grade One. Uh, there were eight, eight other horses. She ran a neck behind Thundering Knights, who, uh, Mean Mary in her last start in June, barely beat by a nose. 
So there, there's a comparison of why Mean Mary's nine to five, Santa Barbara's two to one. But uh, I'm, you know, if I in a pick five, I'd probably lean on Mean Mary uh, over Santa Barbara. I might take a flyer and uh, throw in um, naval laughter, thinking um, might be foolish to think so, but uh, thinking she might be able to get the jump on Mean Mary. Uh, but uh, you don't think so? I really don't. Okay. Um, there is one uh, kind of handicapping tool that I subscribe to. Some people love it. Others don't really, but it's called Optics EQ. Yeah. And it's, it's good. So it really tries to show you what the pace scenario of a race is going to look like versus the circles and squares. Okay. It's kind of, I'm, you know, I want to go into detail, sure. about it, but in, in, they have four quadrants and then the top left quadrant is for primarily speed horses. Okay. And, and circles mean that the horses are poor finishers and squares. They're very quick finishers. And if in quadrant one, if you ever have a, a horse that's a big square all the way in the top left, chances are that horse is probably going to win 70 to 80% of the races. Mm-hmm. And in this race, that's where Mean Mary shows. Right. So mm-hmm. off of that alone, if I were to see that, I would just single it. The okay. problem is they don't really plot your, you know, international horses all that well. Uh, okay. So, you know, the the fives data or the Santa Barbara's data is a little light there. So just on the Aiden O'Brien and Ryan Moore angle, I'm inclined to, you know, defensively use, but off of what I see there from the pace, me Mary is pretty close to a single, but yeah. Sure. Always gotta be worried about the upbeat. I mean, probably probably the 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 horse that is going to be ignored based on the, the you know her last start is the, the six horse Lamista. I mean, she gets Flavian Pratt first time lay six for Chad Brown, Peter Brandt, uh, that Diana, you know, the top two horses that, that, that came in first and second, they were, they were the best in, in that group. Cause I was, I was at Saratoga for the Diana and the, 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 the rest, the, the rest were just also rands, but you know, you know, first time in the States, Lamista ran, ran second behind Harvey's little Goyle, who's no, you know, chopped liver. So Flavian Pratt, you can do a whole lot worse than Flavian Pratt on a horse on turf. So uh, uh, it, it's, you know, it's, it's not an easy toss at five for one. Your he is one of the absolute best turf riders going right now. I mean, yep. Flavian Pratt's just on fire. But that that race in the Diana was just too bad to be believed. So okay. even though, yeah, Flavian Pratt makes it a little more interesting, but I, I can't play a horse back. And the horse does get first time Lasix. Right. Right. But I, I with the other two in here, I gotta lean that way. All right. So you're so you're leaning toward Mary mean Mary as a single? Possibly, yeah. Okay. All right, so let, let's move on to leg C, and that takes us back to Saratoga, race 10, the one mile on the turf, four-star Dave for, it's a handicap race for four, uh, for three-year-olds and upward, and Brian, I'll let you uh, go first with your opinion. 
Well, I find this to be a pretty interesting race. And there's from the win end, there's really only about, I think, three tosses in here. Um, and I really think the race runs through Raging Bull. Okay. Uh, if you notice, uh, Chad, there are three, actually, the interesting thing is there are three uh, Phillies or mares in this race. Yeah, yes. three, three girls taking on the boys in the yeah. field. Um, and I have a funny feeling that Ch Chad Brown is too interested, two entrants in here. And I feel that his Philly, or sorry, his mare, is the rabbit in this race to try and help set things up for Raging Bull, who has just been running against, you know, running in all, basically all grade one company. And he has, and he has two grade one wins. Right. But, so. but, you know, to that point, yeah, it certainly does look like that because Peter Brandt owns both chat, you know, and Raging Bull, it's almost like an annual event. He runs in the four-star Dave. Uh, he's yet he's yet to win, even though he's gone off, you know, five to two uh, in both times. He, he, he was fifth uh, uh, last year in this event and then was second behind Got Stormy, who was actually one of the mayors who is who is in this race, Got Stormy. And this is her race, too. Yeah. With the fourth star Dave is Got Stormy. She always shows up here. There you go. So, I mean, that's a juicy 10 to one. Uh, Tyler's on him, and uh, the, the comment from the uh, Jiper race that where she faced the boys once again, where she's done it in the past. I mean, she was four wide at the quarter and he lost the crop, but that was just going six furlongs. So, uh, you know, she has been able to, to, to stretch out a mile, she proved that. So, uh, yeah, I mean. This is a really interesting race, a good betting race, and probably one where people will spread, whereas uh, in reality, if you could find your single here, you'd be, you, you'd be better off uh, uh, buying a single because pretty much, you know, everybody's going to spread. Uh, I'll, I'll mention it because this is one of Eric's uh, uh, horse crushes, the four horse Casa Creed. Going about six, about six months or more, I always said Casa Creed was a hanger and that uh, uh, he's proved me wrong over his last two races. And, you know, maybe it's maturity level. You know, he's just tur he, he's turned five. Uh, he, he's, he's run some really good races. Maybe, uh, you know, not having Lasix uh, helps. But he's a he's a those were two, those were sprints, those last two races. You know, they True. were one turn sprints. Right. But he had, you know, and going this distance is where my hanger uh, mantra came in. So, yeah, good point that, yeah, you know, he's a closing sprinter. And I believe in that last race, it really set up for him nicely. There was, uh, even though he's 10 to 1, there, there was a ton of speed in that race. They, they certainly didn't go slow when they went 22 flat, 44 and 3, and 56 and 1. Uh, so it's set up perfectly for him, but uh, it's a little short four to one for Casa Creed, but uh, who knows, Eric might be all over him. I think it's intriguing that the second choice is uh, the, the five horse set piece, another closing type and one of three, three uh, race win streak. I mean, this horse gets bet every time he goes to the track. I mean, the only time that he went off anywhere, 
not being the favorite or more than five to two was uh, a fairgrounds in a grade three where nice closing kick, but uh, just uh, there, there were three others be better than him. Florent Giroux for Brad Cox, your thoughts on set piece? Well, the horse is on a roll. Um, he's got a really, really sharp workout, 46 and four on August 8th coming in here. I mean, that is lightning fast. Yeah. Uh, the really, the, there's two things against them. One, this is a big class jump. I mean, yes, he won a grade two, but he has to prove himself that he can run against grade one company. And is there really going to be enough pace for such a deep closer to run into here? Right. And I am on the fence with, with this horse, whether they're gluten or not. Right. I mean, uh, and uh, I, I didn't get to see many of the races today on the turf, but it, from my recollection, it seems like the Saratoga turf's been holding speed pretty well. Particularly on the inner turf, which turf. is what this race is going to be held on. All right. So, yeah, good to know that uh, this is on the inner turf, the four-star Dave. So... Um, are you waffling on a, on a, a pick or are you going to spread here? Uh, I'll probably spread, but not too much. I'll probably use the one. Uh, I'll use Got Stormy and maybe I'll use the five uh, and probably leave it at that. Um, I'm kind of struggling with this one a little bit. Okay. Yeah. The only thing I would add, though, is not necessarily to use on your pick five tickets, but maybe underneath in trifectas, three, Daddy is a legend, who's uh, 20 to one there. Yeah. I mean, this horse has been running against just world beaters, you know, running, you know, next to Got Stormy, a half length behind Uni, who won the Breeders' Cup Mile at one point, you know, Rushing Fall, Beau Recall. Yep. I'm newspaper. I mean, she's running against the best staff turf horses that we've had in the last few years. And last time she got beat by two European horses coming over for Charlie Appleby in the, the just the game. So I think she could easily run a, a big one again and try and sneak into the exotics at 20 to one. Right. And, and once again, this being a handicap race and, I would say probably 90% of the handicappers out there will say, oh, I don't care about weight. You know, weight doesn't mean anything. Don't even look at it. Well, it obviously means something when you have a handicap race and your, your uh, high weight is the one horse raging bull uh, at 122 and daddy is a legend gets in light at, at uh, 114. Whereas, you look at the last 10 races and every grade one, third by two and a half, second by three quarters, third by two and a quarter, second by a half. The horse is always there. As you said, he runs his race. He's been facing monsters for 20 to one. If you're getting 20 to one, yeah, maybe not on a pick five ticket because he's only one for 10 at this distance. But to fulfill uh, an exacto or a triple, I, I think you got something there, Brian. So, um, yeah, Daddy is a legend. Twenty to one morning line, uh, not not a bad choice for a uh, for a vertical bet. So let's go on to 
we're done with Saratoga. They're the only two races in this cross country pick five we have. We're now going to uh, leg D, which is race eight at Arlington Park. It's the one mile on the turf, Bruce D, formerly known as the Secretariat Stakes. Do you have, I tried to research this. Does Bruce D mean anything? Is it a sponsor? Is that a, I, I. Well, all the, the D in all three of these races stand for Dutaswa or, or however you pronounce uh, the, the, original owner of Arlington, the one oh, okay. who the grandstand had a rise from the ashes and then sold it to Churchill Downs in uh, around 2000. Gotcha. So the Mr. D stakes is honoring him and Beverly D was, uh, was Beverly was yeah. his wife. Now maybe Bruce is the son. I, or I'm not really sure. Well, hey, well then the Arlington yeah. people could uh, fill us in. On, on <laughs> well, when, you know, that that's awesome that uh, unfortunately this, this final year of Arlington that I can't blame them for paying homage to the, the original owners and um, you know, people who were connected to uh, that uh, awesome place. Uh, speaking of Arlington, is that one of the tracks you visited? And do you have a, 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 an a awesome story about Arlington? Well, I first went there in 2002 and then didn't go again until the very last Arlington Million, as we knew it for years, in 2019, which is a really, really wonderful day. I mean, despite Chad winning all four stakes races <laughs> and all that short prices but it was a really great day beautiful weather and I, I really enjoyed myself there and on my recent trip uh where I just drove about what six thousand miles or so um that was your tour that was that was, that was, that was your right. racetrack tour you got interviewed right. at uh Indiana Grand you're on closed circuit you, you, you became infamously known as Brain Lightning <laughs> at Canterbury. Well, and in between Canterbury and Indiana, I decided to stop by Arlington. And uh, there was a little bit of a barrier going into the parking lot. But I'm like, oh, what the heck? This place is going to be gone at the end of the year anyway. So I went around it and I noticed that the gates were closed to go inside. So and then security said, I'm going to have to ask you to leave the property. I'm like, OK. And then on my way out, I noticed uh, that the, the one side of the parking lot on the um, the west side, which gives you a great view of the grandstand, was open. So I'm like, all right, let me go over to the top of the, the clubhouse turn and get a couple of pictures of the grandstand. And the security truck followed me over there and said, I thought I said you had to leave the property. I'm like, I can't even get pictures of the place. I'm a horse racing fan. And he goes, no, this is private property. You have to leave. So that's... Uh, that will, will be my final memory of Arlington. <laughs> Almost getting arrested for taking a picture yeah. of uh, Arlington Park. On, on a cross-country road trip, yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, uh, looking at this race, there's a, a field of nine grade one Bruce D. And uh, as far as a horse that... Uh, is probably worthy of grade one is the horse that will be making his debut on turf. It's the one horse, uh, the ride of a lifetime. I mean, ran behind Jackie's warrior a few times. 
uh, you know, has, has gone through many of different uh, racetracks. I can understand why really haven't tried turf yet. I mean, the dam, the, neither the dam nor did, did her, her sire proud citizen ever try the turf. I mean, candy rides a different uh, uh, thing, but I mean, on pure class, I think uh, the ride the of a lifetime has to be uh, pretty, um, you know, a, a good value if you're going to get six to one. So that, I mean, looking at all these other horses, just on class, that, that would have to be my pick. What, what do you think, Brian? Well, I mean, this race is a grade one in name only. I mean, <laughs> but the field that they assembled, th this would barely even pass for a grade three. So I'm almost kind of taking a different approach and trying to find some horses that are more up and coming rather than those that are uh, kind of already established, um, which the one is plenty established. I do wonder why this horse has never been two turns yet. And yet he's Ignacio Correas, who I do respect as a horseman. I mean, I was also a Keeneland on that trip and watching his horses work uh, in morning workouts at Keeneland. They all look phenomenal. Cool. So, yeah. So he knows what he's doing there. Um, but I, and candy rides certainly can turf as, you know, great work tab coming into this race, but I just wonder, you know, is this, can he really, you know, go two turns on turf okay. in his first car? And enough. maybe you want to, you, because this race is so weak, you might want to, uh, to use that horse just, you know, in case you get knocked out, um, handicapping wise, I probably wouldn't and would go with the, uh, more. Uh, the horses that you know can turf. Um, so you can go either way with that one. Um, I lean toward the the four, the six, the eight, and the nine. Um, the four and the six being lightly raced, at least uh, the six point me by with Luis Saez, who is riding hotter than most any jock in the country right now, particularly at Saratoga. Uh, ran pretty well in a uh, in the open allowance race up at Saratoga. Those are pretty brutal type races and that would suffice with the, the class level here. And those were against older horses. So he goes back to three-year-olds. Uh, I think that one's live. Um, the eight won the Mystic Lake Derby, two back at Canterbury. Um, of the established horses on turf, this is probably the one that I would go with, uh, particularly since Larry, it, the horses uh, by American Pharaoh, and since Larry Ravelli basically owns Arlington at this point. <laughs> and, and, and that is really my only reason for including the outside horse, the nine, is solely because Larry Ravelli has two in here, and I don't want to get beat by him. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, I... I Hard, hard to argue that angle. Uh, the 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 horse that you know you're 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 talking, or at least the horse that I'm going to mention is the six horse. Uh, point me by three to one second choice. Uh, I'm a Brisnet guy, and I I swear by their turf numbers, and just on the the, the sole uh, understanding that both of his races were on turf. They both came back with big numbers. His maiden breaker, even though it was just five and five and a half furlongs on the turf, uh, came back uh, the biggest turf number 
of anybody in this field. And even his uh, uh, next race at Saratoga, allowance nine winners, one other than the other thing here in both of those races, it was uh, races for three-year-olds and up. Yeah, we're in the second half of the year. In the first half of the year, I swear uh, by not betting th uh, three-year-olds against older. But here, I like the opposite, where you've had a horse that's been facing older and comes back into an age-restricted uh, race. So, uh, you know... Uh, I'm kind of waffling from my original pick of the one, uh, but uh, I probably in my pick five, I'd have to also use the six. Uh, it, I think it's interesting that of, of the four horses you, you mentioned, you also, you uh, did not mention the two tango, tango, tango. And I was going to mention that uh, this is one favorite morning line favorite. I would be against uh for great multiple, yeah multiple reasons but as my you know, listeners know one of my favorite angles the second time blinkers with a big accept and tango 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 hit that exception where he won first time blinkers i wish that uh i could give statistics but so many times just you know in your travels look at horses who won first time blinkers and then look at what they did their next race out. Well, obviously a horse is probably going to go up in class coming off of a win. So it's kind of unfair to say, but anyway, uh, you know, he, he, he won looks uh, pretty convincingly. We're not sure exactly who he wound up beating in that American Derby. He likes obviously the, the track Jack Sisterson is quietly one of the better trainers in the country and uh i just uh i'd take a stand against him so what was your reasons for for not including him in in your picks well i'm a big fan of the brisnet uh turf figures just like you are and i feel that he really hasn't run races that are all that fast and if he wins the american derby with an 81 and he really hasn't improved that much he's kind of running the same numbers right and i'm looking for horses that are going to try and jump up here and i just don't think he's going to be able to do that particularly at a short price definitely all right so uh you're 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 thinking you're in about four deep with the four six eight and nine and uh, versus a, a single on the one, I'm going to also include uh, the six horse um, point me by, which and leaves I'm, us. I'm yeah, do you have a one more thing? I'm surprised you don't like the nine in here since you are so big on Brisnet turf figures. And the only time this horse went two turns over turf, it was uh, last year as a two year old in an $80,000 stakes at Belmont. And he got an 89 in that race. I, that, that is true. And, and you know what? The thing is, we, all, we always tend to look at, you know, recency and the fact that he's coming out of P, uh, PA bread, uh, whether it be a, a minor stakes event or even an optional claimer, and he still can't get there. Again, it's not on turf. It's either right. on dirt or synthetic which I can understand. And uh, 
So you make a very valid point. Back uh, last October, as a two-year-old, he, uh, you know, here he only has to go a mile. Yeah, he had the lead in the stretch that day. So um, twelve to one and first on the Brisnet Prime Power. Yeah, they, they, he definitely did uh, uh, prove it there. So um, yeah, I can I can understand. And at twelve to one, not not a bad horse to include in, in your pick five. So thanks for pointing that out. So it now leads us to the last leg of uh, the cross-country pick five, which is at Arlington Park, race nine. It's the one and one quarter mile on the turf, Mr. D, which was formerly the Arlington Million, but I guess they needed to change the name since the purse is down to 600000 Very tight. All right. So what... Uh, I'll, I'll be uh, perfectly honest. I couldn't get beyond domestic spending, but if you have other thoughts or even just want to point out some others, uh, go for it. Well, this all depends on what your strategy, you know, what you want your strategy to be. Um, Chad Brown is on record saying that domestic spending is the best turf force in the country. He's not quite at the level of bricks and mortar just yet, but he's getting there and he's well on his way. Uh, this horse reminds me a lot of bricks and mortar. Um, and I don't think he can be stopped. But if you are trying to go against a horse that is probably going to be singled on a majority of tickets, right? Uh, you there are two other options in here. One is Zulu Alpha, who has uh, the class and has um, already won at a mile and three sixteenths, which is pretty close to a mile and a quarter, you know, save a 16th. Right. Uh, in the Pegasus World Cup uh, turf last year. Um, so although the horse primarily is a, a mile and a half, mile and three eighths, you know, more of a marathoner than a middle distance horse, but the horse is still won over that and has class and it can get Luis Sai as a mic maker you know, who are uh, a pretty potent tandem at eight to one. And you also have uh, the nine horse armory uh, for Aiden O'Brien and Ryan Moore. Um, this horse has been running against some of the best horses in Europe and, and really the world. Um, uh, two back ran third in the Prince of Wales Estates at Royal Ascot uh, behind Love and Odaria, who are just two phenomenal fillies. Um, and then going back to last year, he's running with Magical and, and Gayath and the <laughs> right. green one Irish champion, you know, running behind Magical. I mean, these horses are world beaters. Yeah. So the horse has as unbelievable class coming over here and, and is getting Lasix. So, but you just wonder if, and um, two years ago when I was at that Arlington Millie, the Bricks and Mortar won. Uh, Aiden O'Brien sent over Magic One for that race and, and ran second. And that horse was also competing against a lot of uh, phenomenal horses over there in Europe. So if you uh, think that his company is better, you might want to consider using him. But uh, ultimately, I think that this is domestic spending's turf. Chad Brown owns this race. And I think that he's a legitimate single. Right. And I mean, he's going to, there's going to be plenty of pace in this race. If he, not that he needs help, 
<laughs> you know, but it's not like there's there's a potential for loan speed to go out and set dawdling fractions. But no, uh, you you point out great great things about the nine armory, and um, up until uh, uh, when. Aiden O'Brien brought over some horses and ran at Belmont and Santa Barbara was one of them who, who uh, ran that monster race in, in the Belmont uh, Oaks. Uh, the, the knock on Aiden O'Brien was, well, you know, he hadn't won in North America in his last 26 starters or whatever. But and his record at Arlington is not good either. It right. Really, really right. not that good. But, uh, you know, the, 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 I think it somebody on whatever feed I was watching uh, that day said, you know what, that I think this year is going to be different. He is bringing among his better ones and he feels like he's got something to prove. Uh, so uh, I wouldn't take uh, the nine horse armory lightly. Uh, obviously, if you if you think domestic spending is not <laughs> the best turf horse in North America and that Chad will no longer own this race. Uh, I, that's the one horse that, that I, I'd give a shot to. Uh, but other than that, yeah, it's domestic spending to race to lose. Um, so that, that's all we got. Um, I, we, we told you who we like. I'm not going to go back and, and tell you what my ticket is because nobody's going to give a crap what my ticket is. Uh, if you need to hear saw who I like back in the first leg or Brian like, you know, just, uh, go back. But, uh, I want to thank Brian for coming on. Uh, my hope was to try to get somebody who was really in Arlington park. Uh, and unfortunately those who follow me on Twitter are all people who work at Arlington park <laughs> and they're, <laughs> They race on uh, Thursdays and Fridays. So um, I really do appreciate Brian. He, he's an interesting uh, young man. Uh, he, he has the passion for horse racing like, like most of us. And, uh, you know, if you're not already following him on Twitter, uh, give him a follow. He's very animated in, in, in his, his thoughts and join the unwary sky bandwagon any any final thoughts brian well just to give a, a bit of a shout out to arlington despite my most recent experience <laughs> um you know it it really is a shame uh what's happening and that it's it's you know probably this is probably their their last season and if you haven't been to arlington and and there are still tickets available buy a ticket get on a plane head over there it is as close of a facility as we have in the United States as we have the Ascot. It's cool. that clean. It's that nice. And if, if you can swing it, definitely go for it. And I also want to say that I can't really make fun of Eric too much for sweating his balls off because I'm going to be joining him up at the spa tomorrow. There you go. So, uh, yeah, I leave uh, tomorrow morning. To head nice. Up I'll be there for the Saratoga races. Nice. That, don't forget to, to, to take your own uh, cup uh, to, to get that uh, delicious red, big red spring water. Uh, oh, but, are they not offering cups by the spring? No, at least opening day they weren't. You know, they had, they had somebody oh. in that little courtesy booth there right outside the spring. 
And, you know, my friend and I, when we were opening weekend, uh, we were explaining to someone what the whole history behind the spring was. And so uh, the gentleman who was in there, I said, uh, don't you have any of the little cups that you offer? He's like, oh, we don't have any. So who knows? But oh, uh, and those yeah. in the know know that that water is absolutely putrid. You're not but supposed you to have say to that. Do it. It's a rite of passage. You have to do it. We torture ourselves every year doing it. You just ruined it for everybody who's oh. never been there. But anyway, no, it, it, that that that's what I like to do. I like to just hang out by the Red Spring and see people's reactions when they take it. <laughs> they're, you know, they're imagining this refreshing Polar Springs uh, water, and it just has a putrid mineral taste to it that is uniquely Saratoga. So with, with that being said, Brian, uh, have, have a safe trip to Saratoga. Thanks a lot for, for coming on, sharing your handicapping thoughts, sharing uh, the, your story about Wari Sky and everything about horse racing. Uh, to all of our listeners, Eric, I hope uh, you uh, return next week because all your loyal listeners uh, want to hear your 20 minutes uh, 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 analysis on every race. I say that in jest, but uh, <laughs> everyone uh, enjoy the weekend. Hopefully uh, uh, summer's almost uh, over. We're in the dog days, so uh, enjoy the races. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll have more to talk about next week. Thanks again, everyone.